1 Corinthians 1 today, and um, we started a series last couple of weeks uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians entitled A Fractured Church, and uh, dealing with a lot of the issues in the church of Corinth, and, uh, and Paul is addressing this church, a church that he loves, a church that he had invested in. Now, the church of Corinth, we, we kind of saw some background as far as the, the society and the city that Corinth was, and, and uh, some things the church was going through. This church was a very great church. I mean, by anybody's estimation, they look at this church and they say, wow, this church has it together. In fact, if it was uh, today's model, this would be the church that would be having all the conferences. This would be the church that would be putting out all the publications. This would be the church that would be, uh, I mean, they would just ha- on the surface have it all together, all going on. It's a very gifted church. They were gifted in speaking. Uh, they had an incredible uh, uh, way of handling their, the, uh, preaching the Word of God and teaching. They had great wisdom. They had great knowledge of the Word of God. These were some of the spiritual gifts that Paul was going to list. Uh, he'll say later on that no church, uh, they came second behind any church. They were the most gifted church here in the New Testament in the first century. Um, they were the most talented church. Uh, if you were visiting, if you're traveling through as a believer, you'd say, one thing we have to do is we have to visit one of the services of the church of Corinth. This was just that church. If it was today, they'd be the one putting out CDs. They'd be the one putting out music and, and just be the standard. And uh, you'd want to go see it. They would have had the most talented choir, musicians, singers, preachers. I mean, this was that church. There was an excitement there. They were, they were clearly saved. Paul talks about their salvation and uh, their standing in God, that they were saints. And uh, uh, it was all full of external observa- observances. There's all external things going on. But Paul later is going to mention, and he's even going to address in our text today, that this was a very carnal church. Everything looked great on the outside, and everything was going in a certain direction, but it was a very carnal church. One of the things they were carnal about, they were very full of themselves. When you look at the word carnal, the word carnal basically means fleshly. It's the opposite of spiritual. Uh, he's going to say in chapter 3, I could not speak as to you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even babes in Christ. And, then, uh, and so that's what the church was. They were, they were kind of very immature, if you would, with spiritual matters. They had gifts, and the gifts were given to them to serve other people. But were they doing it to serve other people? They were doing it to serve their own selves. They were doing it for their own purposes and their own, uh, uh, you know, there was competitiveness about the church. Well, I'm better. No, I'm better. Well, oh yeah, well, I'm of this guy and I'm of it. And they're name dropping. And this is just kind of what they did as a church. And, and uh, they, you know, they took God's gifts. And what were they doing? They're using them in a very abusive way. This church, <laughs> Paul had to approach them, people whom he had, uh, who, who disappointed him. We looked at that a little bit last week. How do you address, how do you deal with people who have disappointed you? And he gives a great template. We kind of looked at some things, these people that he loved. He thanked God for them, for their salvation. He thanked God that he had a plan for them and and was purposed to fulfill and to complete that plan. He thanked God, though they weren't using it right, the fact that he even gave them gifts. And, and it was kind of like, we'll deal with uh, how you're using them later, but for now I just want to say I thank God for the gifts you have. I thank God for what he has started in you. And what a wonderful template as we, as we deal with and approach people that have hurt us. Have you ever had to do that? Have you ever had to, to approach somebody and address somebody who, uh, who has let you down, maybe spiritually? If you're a parent here, uh, 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 you probably have. If you're a parent here, if you haven't yet, you're going to, okay? Uh, it's just what we have to deal with as people. And so he addresses them and really gives a great layout. In fact, I have already used this formula since I studied this passage and, and, and saw it there. I've already used it in dealing with, uh, with some disappointments and, uh, as, I, as I worked with people. But, um, you know, that's really the theme of 1 Corinthians, uh, fixing problems that arise because of self-centeredness. Fixing problems that arise because their eyes were on themselves and not on others. And they were, they, were, they were looking on their own things only and not the things of others. That's this church. This morning I want to bring a message uh, and talk to you about divisions and contentions. Divisions and contentions that this church dealt with. You've been part of a situation in life where um, one group just could not get along with another group. Um, of course, we see that often on a bigger scale. Uh, uh, if you watch the news at all, uh, uh, we have the left, we have the right. We have, we have different groups within those groups uh, uh, that are kind of at each other about different things. And, and the two sides just cannot come together. 
And, uh, and, you know, we'll see that on a grand scale. But, but, but if we bring it down to, to kind of uh, a more personal aspect uh, in a local church or in, in, uh, in, even in families or different things, you know, uh, it, it becomes very difficult being a part of, air, uh, of, of things in life where they're just groups that do not get along or they break themselves into groups. And, you know, well, we have our group, well, we have our group. And, you know, we're on the east side, we're on the west side, we're of this family, we're of that family. We have all these different breakdowns. And what ends up happening? They're, they're divisions. These are splits. There are arguments that happen. There are ill feelings towards, towards individuals. You know, that ought to never characterize the church. But it happens. It happened at Corinth. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably seen in a church context uh, divisions ill feelings towards people, groups, uh, uh, factions that start to be creative, uh, created, and, and I've, I've seen it on, on silly things before, um, uh, you know, almost to the point where, 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 where the church will say, well, uh, uh, these people over here are on this side of the issue, and they're just going to sit over here, and these people over here are on this side of the issue, they're just going to sit over here, and the people in the middle are my favorite because they don't even know anything's going on. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll work with you guys, okay? But, uh, but that starts to happen, and, uh, and, and almost to the point of, uh, of uh, you know, well, before we get any further in this conversation, I just want to know, which side are you on? You see? And, uh, and these things happen, and they, and, they, and they tear apart churches, and they're so carnal, and they're so inward-focused that they, they miss the whole purpose of why they even exist. What on earth are we on earth for? <laughs> why are we here? Sometimes we call them cliques. How often it uh, destroys the lifeblood and the mission of the church when, uh, when we get cliquish. And it's no longer about, you know, we're a part of this church family, but what element of that church family are you a part of? Are you in the in crowd? Are you in this crowd or that crowd? And, and, uh, and, and, and what happens is when those cliques get strong, you can't cross over cliques. Like, you have to be loyal to your clique. And you forget the idea that, that, wait a minute, we're supposed to be one church. We're supposed to be one body. That's what was happening in 1 Corinthians 1. Paul is dealing with, I'm going to use the word schism. He was dealing with schisms. That's where we get the word division in the New Testament. Schisms. We'll look at that word in a minute. Look at 1 Corinthians. We'll get to our text here. 1 Corinthians 1. We're going to start in verse number 9. 1 Corinthians 1, and uh, verse number 9, it says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions, schisms among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos, and I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, but Crispus and Gaius. Lest any of you say that I have baptized in mine own name. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptize any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with, stand, uh, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And uh, we'll go ahead and just pause there. When we have a word of prayer as we get into this and we start talking about divisions and contentions that arise in a church. Father, I do pray that you'd help us as Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, with a heart of love and compassion towards this church, gave some remarks and addressed some of these issues. As we observe and look into the, the pull the curtain back a little bit of this local church, the church at Corinth, Lord, I pray that these 2,000 years later that you'd have some insight and some direction for our church here Paul, Alaska, to give us some guidance, some direction, some protection against these divisions, that we could be a united church for the purpose of the glory of our God. Lord, I ask that you'd help us in this uh, moment now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I want to talk about the word schism. Uh, it's uh, uh, schismos uh, is the uh, is the, the the Greek word there. It's translated divisions, and uh, and 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 it's the idea of uh, uh, these schisms that were taking place in the church. You know. Um, uh, the, the, the idea of not being, you don't want to be a part of the larger body of the church, but it be, it, part sections, if you would, start being divided against itself and uses the word schisms. Um, and, uh, the, 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 you know, schism is, uh, it's to say that, you know, or, or by the way, as we look at this, the, these factions, if you would, or these, these cliques, these divisions, the question arises, well, does that mean we should then have smaller groups? Should we not have uh, get-togethers? Should we not do these things? And, uh, and I, to that, I would say no. You know, uh, uh, you know that's not what that means. Um, you know, this last summer, we kind of did an experiment as a church, and uh, we did a midweek small groups with uh, a couple of different groups around town, and I think it went uh, pretty, pretty well. We had some great testimonies that came out of that. And... Um, but, uh, but, you know, that's how the early church grew. The Bible, in the, in the book of Acts, after the 3,000 got saved at the day of Pentecost, what they started doing is they'd go daily, house to house, breaking bread and fellowship and continuing the apostles' doctrine and in prayer. And, and, uh, and the church grew as God added to the church daily. And what, they, what are they doing? They were going, they were having discipleship, and they were having, they were having small groups, okay? And uh, they were getting together. And, you know, that's a great environment, especially as the church is growing, uh, to personally grow. And there's accountability there. And there's, uh, you know, knowing people and everything. That is very important as we talk about that. So we're not talking about uh, having groups, and we're not even talking about having people, you know, let's face it, there are going to be people within the church that just have commonalities that connect them, right? Um, uh, uh, young, uh, young adults, young married that have uh, little kids are going to have a little less in common with those that are older and the kids are grown and out of the house. Uh, now, they'll be friends, but there's something about the stage of life that we're in maybe that, that, that's going to connect us. There are different areas, there are different aspects that will connect us around different things. And, and that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about for the groups existing for the purpose of these divisions, the purpose of these contentions, the purpose of, of these schisms that are going on. When we talk about schisms, which is what Paul is really speaking against, uh, it refers to a couple of different things in the Bible. Uh, the first illustration it refers to is a ripped net, a ripped net. Uh, it's amazing how many times uh, in, the, in, the, in the Bible we, you'll find the fishermen sitting around mending their nets, you know, and, uh, and sometimes in that profession you might find yourself mending your net more than the actual fishing taking place. I have you understand in some professions, some, you know, the, 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 the preparing, the preparatory steps uh, many times are much more time consuming than the actual activity itself. And if you skip those preparatory steps, you'll fail at the, at the job. Uh, my, uh, uh, my dad growing up in the summers, he was a public school teacher. And in the summers, he would take on side jobs in uh, painting houses. And many times I kind of learned how to work, working alongside of him. And, uh, and we'd spend days taping off windows, scraping loose paint, pressure washing, all this stuff, and uh, just for to get ready to spray the house. But the house would get sprayed in like one day. And it'd be done, I'm like, why can't we just jump to that, you know? And well, here's the problem. If you skip steps, then you'll be doing it later, and it'll be even more work, right? And, uh, and so that's the idea. And these nets, they were, they would, you know, a rip net, a schism in the net. Now, how ridiculous would it be uh, you know, we, we understand like the concept, right? Peter and James and John, they'd be there mending their nets. That when, when Jesus approached them, hey, follow me. Leave your nets, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They were mending nets. Why? Well, if they throw the net out there into the water and there's a schism in the net, there's a, te there's a, there's a tear in the net, there's an opening in the net, what happens? Fish will, go, fish will find the opening and swim out, right? You may get a few. There may be some slow fish, okay? <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but, but most of the fish are going to find the, that hole. And, uh, and many times, if they're all pushing through the same hole, it might even get bigger, right? So what do you do? You take time and you mend that net. By the way, how foolish it would be, as that's a word used to describe this divided church, how foolish would it be to throw the net into the community and to throw the net into the, the world where to make a difference and there are schisms. There are big fat holes in the thing. And, you know, this is one of the problems that people have when they look at church. They say, they say they're schisms. They, they don't know what they're saying, but that's what they're saying. And what happens? They fall through the holes. They fall through those, those tears. They fall through the things that are lacking. You know, um, 
We want to reach the world for Christ, but far too often we've got splits in our net. We've got tears. And uh, that's, there's no way we're going to be effective as a local church with a split in the, in the, in the church itself. The next illustration that's given is that of a broken bone. When I was, um, I want to say I was 13 years old, I uh, first started taking up snowboarding. And uh, I did a very wise thing because I was a wise teenager. And I decided, I've been skiing for all these years, and I was, uh, I was a fairly expert skier, and, uh, and I thought I could pick up snowboarding, and, uh, and so I was going to go out there and do it myself. And I had no one going with me, no one giving me pointers, didn't take any lessons. I got this, right? Well, about halfway through the day of all this falling down and everything, I'm kind of starting to get the hang of this. I'm getting some balance, and, and I'm, on the, I'm on the beginner slope. And, and, uh, and this lady who's on skis, who's also a beginner, uh, she, uh, uh, she's making very unpredictable turns, and I'm, I'm just trying to get around her so we don't crash. And, and she makes a sudden movement, and I dive to the side to avoid hitting her. And my wrist had one too many falls on it, and snap. I was in so much pain. The city judge was also snowboarding that day, and he came to my aid, and I thought that was kind of funny. So my parents take me to the doctor there, and, uh, and we get an x-ray and everything. We see the split in the bone. And, um, and uh, it's interesting is the, the doctor there, he said, uh, you know, okay, we're going to set this. We're going to put a cast on it. And, uh, and he said, and Aaron's not going to be able to do anything for a while. Uh, I'm right-handed. It was my right arm. Uh, and I was still in school, okay? And so, so uh, <laughs> I had to either learn how to write left-handed, which surprisingly was about as legible as my right-handed writing. Anyway, uh, or what I would do, and the cast was set like this, I had to, I would write like this. And that's what I ended up doing. I would kind of bend my arm way up here. And, um, but I really couldn't do anything with my arm. And the doctor told me, he said, your arm's weak right now, and it, and it needs to not be used. But once it heals, he said, the spot where the break was is going to be stronger than before it broke. So there was a season where I'd be out of commission while it set, but afterwards it will come through stronger than it was before. Now, that's why as a local church, when there's a schism, we need to deal with it right away. We need to set that thing. And there may be a season where there's maybe some, uh, some setting aside. There may be a season where it's not going to be used as much as it normally would while that thing heals up. But if it's done right, if it's handled properly, what happens? We come to the other side and we're going to be much stronger for having stayed. We're going to be much stronger for having worked through it. We're going to be much stronger for having uh, done it right. And it's a great, wonderful medical illustration here of setting a broken bone. But that's true at the local church. When we have breaks... Listen, we can't function properly. We can try. We can try to work through the pain. Uh, I remember when I, uh, when I was uh, in basic training in the Army, I ran into a guy, and um, I think I had to go to, to, to the doctor for something. And I ran into a guy, and uh, his foot was like barely hanging on on his leg. And I'm like, man, what happened? And he said, well, I'm finishing up. I think it was air assault school or something. And, and it was that last uh, uh, ruck march that they were doing. And uh, basically, he said, if I gave up, if I, his, his ankle gave out and it snapped. He says, if I gave up, I'd have to start the whole class over. And he said, I worked too hard to get here. He says, so I pushed through it. His leg was all swollen and getting all black and just nasty, right? And uh, what happened? He tried to push through it. And I guarantee he was not anywhere as strong as he would have been. If he just, uh, you know, had he not broken it in the first place, but, uh, but you know what, uh, I don't know whatever happened to that guy. If he uh, broke it beyond repair, I don't know, but he did some serious damage to his foot by trying to push through it. You know, if we're not careful, we ignore the issues and we try to push through it. You know what we're going to have? We have a much greater injury than the initial injury. If we don't deal with it right and push, uh, and we just, we're just going to push through. We're just going to you know, drink water and, water and drive on, soldier. Uh, we're just going to kind of do that number, and, and what's going to happen? It gets worse and worse and worse until it's no good. By the way, I know a lot of guys that have retired in the military, and there are many parts on their body that is no good anymore. They've blown out their knees. They've ruined their back. They've, why? What happened? Somewhere along the way, it wasn't taken care of properly. I'm not blaming the military, but I'm blaming the military. <clears throat> no, I'm just teasing. 
as a church, we need to be very careful with this, that we'd function properly. The third illustration is this. So, so we have the schism as a broken bone, a schism as a tear in the net. Uh, the third one is uh, a tear in a garment. Um, you ever torn your clothes? I was going to say, have you ever split your pants, but I don't know if I want to know. I remember one Sunday I was uh, getting ready to leave, and, and uh, I went and hopped in my car, and there was that sobering feeling and sound when the back of your pants just tear. And I was like, I'm so glad church is over and that this didn't happen as soon as I got here today. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, and it just, it just uh, split open and then it happens. And, uh, you know, in, um, in the day and age we live in, typically when you tear some clothes or whatever, uh, it just kind of turns into a rag. You repurpose it, right? You don't really need it anymore because uh, they have a whole closet full of clothes or we can go down to the store. You know, in Bible days, it wasn't quite that way. Uh, garments were a little bit more precious. So when you have a tear... In your garment, you're going to go and get it sewn. You're going to go and get it fixed. If you don't do it right away, what will happen to the tear? If I just keep working throughout my day after, oh, I got a tear. Well, I'll finish up my eight-hour shift, and then I'll deal deal with it. What's going to happen to that tear? It's going to get bigger until it's a full-on split. The tear tends to grow. And you know, when we notice a tear, the best thing we can do is deal with it immediately. Immediately. We, we, uh, we, if not, it begins to get bigger and it begins to kind of work its way until it's, it's irreparable and, um, uh, and eventually will turn into a split. And that's exactly what will take place in a church. When their tear begins to take place, when, um, when, they, when, it, when, when it starts to become noticed, hey, don't ignore that thing. Don't ignore that thing. Because eventually it's going to rip apart completely. And it happens. It happens far too much. Um, in the Bible, there's a story uh, about David's son, Amnon. David's son, Amnon, had some immoral feelings towards his half-sister, Tamar. And um, uh, he had a friend, his, his, his brother, uh, came up to him and, uh, and said, um, or, or rather his cousin, came up to him and, uh, and instead of giving him good and sound advice, he gave him some very wicked advice. He said, here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to take advantage of your half-sister. He does it, and, uh, and the whole story unfolds, and it's just an ugly mess. Well, well his, his uh, half-brother, Absalom, how do you know the name Absalom? Absalom was the one that wanted to try to overthrow the kingdom from his father. I believe, personally, this is me just kind of looking at the story and assessing it, I believe bitterness took place right here. Because what happened was he goes to his dad and says, Dad, you need to do something. Amnon is out of control. He has violated my sister, and you are the father, you need to do something. David ignores it. See, there's the tear, should have been taken care of. Two years go by, nothing happens. Dad still doesn't take care of it. Dad still doesn't deal with it. So Absalom finally has enough, and he tells his servants, he says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a party, have a a dinner, and we're going to bring Amnon over. And when he's well drunk and well eaten, and I give the signal, you kill him. That's exactly what happens. And his servants jump on Amnon and they kill him. David gets word of it. Somehow the word gets amplified by the things to David and he's told all his kids are dead. <laughs> the weirdest story. There's a tear. There's now a split in the family. Still doesn't deal with it. Fast forward in the story a little bit longer. His son starts hanging out in the gate. Talking to people. Making, making splits, making schisms, making divisions. You know, I'll be a better leader. I'll listen to you guys when you complain. I'll help you. I'll be there for you. And start turning the heart of Israel towards, towards Absalom until the point Absalom's ready to take over the kingdom. And David finds himself yet again on the run with a split in his kingdom. It's the same principle. Same issue. Uh, there was a tear. We could deal with this. We can fix this. I know it's painful. I know there was some difficulty. I know there was some hurt, but we can fix this. Let me just tell you, it's not just time that heals everything. You can't just say, well, let them time go by and they're going to get over it. 
No, it must be dealt with. And so, so Paul's given this great word of division, this word of schisms that are taking place, and it's a wonderful biblical term, illustration. What Paul's talking about here, these are tears, they're splits. They already exist in this church of Corinth. They're already going on here. Well, you're saying, well, pastor, do you think that our church has tears and splits in it? Well, the short answer is yes and no. Now, no, I do not know of any big splits. I don't know of any uh, factional groups, you know, that are meeting on Thursday night discussing how they're going to vote out the pastor. Uh, I, if that's going on, I've not been invited, okay? Um, there's not enough room for me. I don't know. I don't know of any of these things going on. But what I do know is that our church is made up of people. We have people in our church, right? Uh, you're here today, right? Are you awake? Nod your head, say amen, move so I can know you're alive. Do we need to call somebody? Made up of people. And people deal with temptation. People deal with bitterness. People deal with strive, strife and envying, debate. They enter into churches. And I want to say this, no church is exempt. The most spiritual among us are not exempt. It happens. Just look at some of these Bible characters. You think, how did that person fall into that? The same way you fall into stuff, okay? Because we're people. We're all God has to work with. So the idea is this, the concept is this, there's always a potential, always a potential for rips. There's always a potential for, for broken bones. There's always a potential for tears to take place because there are people. I mentioned last week, that if you're looking for a perfect church, you're not going to find it. And if you do find it, don't join it because you're going to mess it up. Because we're full of people. Okay? I'm sorry, but none of us, if the Apostle Paul said, I have not obtained yet, neither are already perfect, let me just tell you, you have not arrived and you are not already perfect. That's the Apostle Paul saying that. Okay? And I'm no Apostle Paul. Paul spoke um, reactively to this church because this church had some real schisms, some real divisions, some real problems. But in a greater, broader sense, I believe God has given us this to be proactive, to prepare us because these things will arise. And, and, and maybe it's already going on. Maybe, maybe there's just one family and another family, and that's just where it's at right now. God's going to give us some instruction on what to do. Maybe, maybe it starts to grow into some problems, and, and we need to be careful. We need to be on guard with this and treat it like a broken bone and treat it like a tear in a garment because we don't want to go any further. Let's deal with it. Let's fix it right now because God does not like throwing garments away. He likes to repair them. If there was anybody that could have been thrown away, it would have been Peter. Peter. You denied him? Peter, what were you thinking? And then afterwards, not only did Peter deny the Lord three times and then went away and wept bitterly, but then he went back to the very life Jesus called him from. Remember what he said? Leave your nets. What did Peter say? I'm going fishing. The other said, I'm going with you. And what does he do? He's out there fishing and he sees Jesus there on the shore. And, hey, have you caught anything? He's like, I've heard this before. And he runs to Jesus and gets over there. Jesus is there cooking up some fish, feeds them. Great, great, uh, uh, great example, by the way. Uh, before you deal with some hard issues, sometimes it's good to have some food. Don't be cranky about it. Don't be hangry before you deal with hard issues. The Bible says that Jesus derided them. Anybody know what derided means? He chewed them out for their unbelief. And then here's what he says. This is amazing. Now go and preach the gospel to all the world. What? That's not what we would have thought he would have done. We would have said, now wait a minute. Now you, we need to start all over from the beginning. You need to go back to synagogue. You need to go back to do, you know, do this, this, or this. You need to go and get right with God so I can use you. No, no, here's what he said. He said, guys, you should have known. Now that you do know, go and preach the gospel. You know what he did? He sewed up the tear and said, now be useful. He didn't throw away the torn garment. And neither does he want to do that in our church. 
Neither does he want to do that in any church. And if we're not careful, we can get so much to the place where we say, you know what, the best thing to do is just to get rid of this guy, to get rid of that group. Good riddance, okay? You know, there's an interesting phrase about marriage in the Bible. Blake, you can listen to this. What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Okay, God hates divorce. The Bible says that God adds to the church. Now, I'm not equating marriage to church membership or anything like that. What I am saying this, if God, what God joins together, if God adds to the church, what is it if man pushes out of the church? Now, I, I'll say there's a time for church discipline. There's a time for those things. Now, but always keep in mind the purpose of that, which is what? Anybody know? Restoration. Good job. You guys pass. Which is back together. It's sowing the tear. So who are we to say, no, you don't belong if God's the one joining it up? Does that make sense? It's the same as a man interfering when God brought a couple together and a man gets in there and says, nope, whether it be those in the marriage, whether it be someone outside the marriage, whatever it is, don't interfere. God did that. By the way, don't look at that illustration further than that. That's just the point I'm making, okay? Um, uh, there are times to, when it's time to leave a church. There are times when it's time to, to, to move or various things. And I'm not equating being part of a church to marriage. But there's a principle there. So Paul spoke reactively, and when he, God's looking at us, and we want to be proactive about this thing. So I want to just bring up three points, and then we'll be done. Uh, Paul's going to point out the ideal, and that is what the church should look like. He's going to point out the issues, what were the church dealing with that was opposite from what's ideal. And then the insight that Paul gives, here's, here's the conclusion of the matter, here's what I want you to come to. And so first of all, the ideal, look at verse number 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto this fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, this information and this instruction is, is, is true not just for this church, but any church, including our church. And, uh, and so he's going to give this information and, uh, and, and, uh, and here's what he says, that, that we've been called, if you would, unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. I like what John says in 1 John chapter 1. He says, this is why I'm writing this to you, that you could enter into this fellowship. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. The first step, the basis of our fellowship, folks, is faith in Jesus Christ. He says, we've been brought, we've been called into the fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but this, is, this is a very important thing as we're talking about the, what's ideal. It's this fellowship. Now, when we talk about fellowship, what we want to do, are, are, uh, he says we want, he wants us to operate in a fellowship sort of thing. So we think, okay, I get it. Let's have a cookout every so often. Let's get together. We'll have a game night and those kinds of things. And you know what we tend to do? And those things are great. And we do them. We have, we have potluck every Sunday night, by the way. Come join us tonight. Um, and it's good. <laughs> it's very good. I'm hungry now. We use it in a very superficial way, though. We think, you know, here's what fellowship is. Come for fun, food, and fellowship, right? The, the three Baptist F's, fun, food, and fellowship. You know, we had men's breakfast yesterday, and we got together. We had fun, food, and fellowship. Uh, but we had a wonderful time yesterday, a great time of prayer, and, uh, and just I enjoy you men, uh, time together that we have. But you know, it's, I'm not against those getting together. I'm, I think they're very good things. I think we as a church family ought to get past the superficial level of, oh, hey, I know your name. I know your kid's name, and, uh, and, and I wrote your birthday down somewhere but rather knowing where we are, where we live, knowing, knowing who we are, and to, to, to enter into this fellowship, to be friends. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. What a wonderful ministry a friend can have in your life to sometimes tell you things you don't want to hear. But you know what? If you're not a friend, you can't wound somebody in a positive way because then it's just mean, Right? I need some friends in my life from time to time that say, hey, you're messed up. Well, who am I letting in that close? Guys, we have a problem with this, don't we? We don't let people in that close. Talking to the men. We need to, we need to let some, some godly men into our lives to help us. We need that. We have blind spots. 
I'm not against getting together. Those things are very important. But here's what fellowship is. Fellowship is gathering around a common interest and a common purpose as it relates to Jesus Christ. Uh, there, there's a commonality to it. Fellowship means this. It means partnership. Fellowship carries the idea for, for some, some, some illustrations, a partnership, uh, like a shareholder, like part owner. A fellowship is the idea of a team member. That we're a part of something that's going on and, and we're working together. Uh, put it this way, let's break down the word fellowship. Fellowship, we're fellows together in a ship. You're like, that sounds cheesy. No, think about the old days, how they would row a boat. Everyone's gotta be in unison. What are we doing? We're fellowshipping. We're working together for the purpose. We're working together with a common goal and a common interest. When you got saved, here's what it says, you've been called into a fellowship. Now, I know in a broader sense, we're all, when you got saved, you got added to the family of God. Praise the Lord for that. But in a very practical and real sense, God calls everybody to be a part of a local church, a local assembly. And, uh, and here's, here's a great challenge for all Christians everywhere. If you're not part of a local assembly, you need to find out where God wants you and plug in. You see, and by the way, I want to say this, this church isn't necessarily for everybody. And I'm not against anybody that is not this church. I'm against false doctrine, and I'm against those kinds of things. But I tell you, if you're preaching Christ, and if you're true to sound doctrine, praise the Lord, we're, we're, we can even fellowship that way. Oh, you mean you would fellowship with another church? When you got saved, you got called to a fellowship, and and God asks people to that local assembly. Why? For that growth, for that uh, uh, common fellowship. What ship am I in to row this thing? Right? By the way, if we carry on that illustration, think of a warship. This ship has to be working right for it to be effective. But then the ship next to them has to be working right as well for the overall war to be won. Folks, that's the other church. But you know what? I'm not on their boat. And I don't know what their captain is doing. But we're in this boat. And we know what God's given to us. And so here's what we're doing. We're going. And we're rowing. And we're working together. God calls people to local churches. How does someone become a member of, of the church in North Pole? How do, we, how do we enter into this fellowship here? You know, there's a, you know we're, we're, not, we're not those that would say, you know, you can't come eat with us until you've uh, officially made it, you know, made it official or anything like that. But, uh, but it really is simple. There is an element of joining oneself, yoking oneself up with. And the first step is trusting Christ as Savior. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Second thing, identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ through believer's baptism. That, uh, that we are a body of baptized believers. And then thirdly, purposefully, intentionally yoking up with that church saying, these are my fellow church members, and that, that, that man is called to be my pastor, and these are, called my, these are my, my fellow brethren, if you would, in this yoke. The Bible uh, refers to the church, we'll see it later on in 1 Corinthians, but it, it uses the illustration of a body. The ears, and the mouth, and the eyes, and the feet, and the hands, and all this stuff, and it's all working together, and it uses that in the context of spiritual gifts. I've got my gifts, you've got your gifts, and we're to use it in the context of the local church. What are we doing? For the edifying, for the building up of that body. When I've not joined up, I may be like a part of the garment of the body, but I'm not part of the body. I may be like a backpack the body's wearing, but I'm not part of the body. And part of what God's doing, that common vision and direction. There's so many things we can get into on that. I'm, I'm just kind of laying that out and encourage you. By the way, we're going to be doing another new members class coming up soon. We'll have a sign-up sheet soon. Several of uh, have uh, expressed interest. And, uh, and with that, it just kind of shares, here's what our church is about, and, uh, and answer some questions and kind of get the conversation going. But, uh, you know, it's a called-out body of believers who are focused on the same big picture and the same mission. So what is that purpose? Well, what's your purpose as an individual? By the way, is the church this building we're in, beautiful building we get to meet in, it's people. So what is our purpose as individuals? Since the church is made up as individuals, the collective, the group, will have the same purpose. What is our purpose as an individual? Your purpose well, is to bring honor and glory to God. You say, well, that sounds simple. To bring honor and glory to God. You know, but don't let it be a mystical thing. Giving honor and glory to God uh, really simply means this. You give God a good reputation in, with your life. 
What are we called to be? We're called to be ambassadors of the Lord Jesus Christ. What's an ambassador's number one job? His job is to make the one he's representing look good. Now, I want to say this. Does me having a bad testimony change God's character, yes or no? No, but it can sure change people's opinion of God. I want to bring honor and glory to God. And so, so my desire is that Christ would be magnified in me. Paul said, whether by life or by death, Christ would be magnified in me. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must, what? Decrease. So how do we give honor and glory to God? We fulfill the great command. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself. That's our behavior with one another. We fulfill the great commission. He's given us a job to do. We honor and glorify God by this, two words, making disciples. Making disciples. By the way, I think too many churches and too many, too many people kind of just stop at, here's what we're doing. We're going to go and tell everybody about Jesus. Tell everybody about Jesus. No, no, no. We are called to make disciples. You say, what is that? It starts with Christ, but it ends with Christ-likeness. What are we doing? We're, we're, we're taking them through. We're discipling. And by the way, I want to say this. If you're, a, if you're a couple here, you got young kids at home, guess what? You have live-in disciples right now. Are you discipling your children? It's kind of a bummer that the ones that are assigned to you are the ones where the stake is the highest. The stakes are the highest, I should say. Because if I reach some stranger out there and I'm trying to lead him along, he kind of falls off the wagon. I may never see him again. And he, yes, he's a soul for whom Christ died. And yes, God loves him. But, 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 but my children, I'm to steward. My children are a stewardship. My, I mean, children, I, 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 I'm, I'm answerable. How, how am I doing this? And, and I love what John said. He says, I've got no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What a desire. What a goal for my life. I have just really three more summers, technically, with one of my kids before she's an adult. I hope she stays with us longer than that. She's welcome to. But quite frankly, she'll be making her own decisions. How am I doing? My youngest, I've got 15 more summers. And then kids in between. How am I doing? When I'm done, I'm done. We fulfill the Great Commission. We make disciples. We, we fully, what is a disciple? A fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And this all fits into the idea of fellowship. We gather around a common purpose. We gather around a, a, a Christ as our example. We gather around Christ as our empowerment. Uh, it's the glue that holds us together. We are, uh, we're shareholders. This fellowship, we are, we, we, we are in the same thing, uh, same fellowship, which is with Christ as he's given to us. We are co-laborers with Christ as he's given to us this ministry of reconciliation. So when we're firing all cylinders... Uh, we are firing on all cylinders, rather, when we're doing it this way. When there's a common vision, a common direction, a common goal. Uh, uh, you know what I found when schisms arise and cliques arise and things? We, we've lost sight of the goal. That happens when you lose sight of the goal. Well, yeah, it happens when you lose sight of, of where are we going anyway? What are we doing? So that's the ideal, the fellowship. Several reflections of that ideal. Look at verse number 10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. The first thing he points out, speak the same thing. You say, what does that mean? Uh, what, 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 is, um, uh, what is a good uh, reflection of a church, if you would? What is what the church says? Uh, are we proclaiming Christ? Are we speaking the same thing? Or are people in the church, uh, or are those that get around us, are they hearing uh, garbled speech? Is it a clear voice? Is it a clear direction? Or is it kind of uh, like the Tower of Babel? Are we saying the same thing? When the church members are speaking, are they saying the same thing? Or is it just kind of confusing? I've been places before where it says... Uh, yeah, you know, I like this church, but, uh, you know, you know, a pastor says this and this, but I really think this, this, and this. And, well, I'm not saying that just because the pastor says something, it's right. But, uh, but many times we, we want to hold on. You've been shown from the Bible, and here's what the scriptures say. And, and uh, we say, you know, I like being there, but I got my own ideas. I got my own thoughts. I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need all that church stuff. 
When the church comes together, are, are they speaking the same thing? Uh, um, uh, you know, <clears throat> some are speaking. You know, some are speaking this way. Some are speaking that way. Some some have this attitude, and some have that attitude. Uh, it's a great sign of division. Speaking the same thing. I remember uh, one time I was uh, uh, when I was at Bible college. There was a uh, uh, basketball game going on, and there were some uh, there were some parents there. That uh, these were the kind of parents they didn't get enough playtime when they were kids. You know what I'm talking about. And this is a Christian school, right? And, uh, and they're having this basketball game, and, and they're just carrying on in the bleachers, and they're you know, yelling. And then finally this sweet old lady in, the, uh, in front of them turns around and says, aren't we all Christians here? And the guy says, oh, don't give me that Christian business. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. You know, I wonder sometimes when people come into a church if they aren't saying, oh, my. Look at this jumbled speech. Look at what's going on here. They hear gossip. They hear tones of bitterness. It's not everybody, but many times the whole church is marked by a few bad apples. And someone may come in and they'll hear these things. And, and by the way, we need to be sensitive when someone is going through some difficulty and someone is going through some bitterness. We, we, uh, you which are spiritual should bear the infirmities of the weak. And what does that mean? We need to come alongside and say, uh, you know, can I help you? Can I pray with you? Can you? Let's meet for lunch. What's going on? You know, I've just sensed that there's, there's this, this uh, uh, just uh, I, I feel like you're down, like you're under pressure or whatever the case may be. We ought to speak the same thing. Notice verse number 10. Again, I need to hurry. I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing. There be no divisions. I'll talk about that in a minute. That you be perfectly joined together. And there's like our word, the schism. What are we doing? We, that we be perfectly joined together. No tears, no breaks. We're perfectly joined together. The net is mended. The bone is healed. The tear is sewn up. Not just say the same thing, but there needs to be the structure there. And then it goes on and he says, the same judgments. You know what the same judgment is about? It's about a mindset. It, it, the, the, the speech actually flows from what's going on in the mind. And, uh, and so it, this is your ideal. Uh, the ideal, as he's telling them, he says, guys, you're not thinking the right thoughts. How do you know this? Because you're not saying the right things. You're not speaking the right thoughts. How do I know this? Because there's a tear in the net. You're not thinking the right thoughts. How do I know this? Because the bone's out of socket out of, out of, or broken altogether. How do we know there's a tear? He's telling them, you don't have the thoughts of how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I be a blessing? You have thoughts of climbing a ladder. You have thoughts of comparison one with another. You have thoughts of who's better and who's not. Uh, these are the thoughts that are going on. So we have the ideal uh, uh, that we say, speak the same things, that we be joined together, and that we think the same thoughts, uh, 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 the purpose of Christ in fellowship, the ideal. The, uh, and then we have the issues. He says this, that there be no divisions, verse number 10, right in the middle, there be no divisions among you. That's the word schisma, schisms. Schisms, schisms. They're, the inner issues are showing up outwardly. Just like the thinking shows up in speaking, these issues were showing up uh, and is reflected in words. What kind of words? Look at verse number 11. For it had been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the household of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. That's the schisms that are going on. The divisions, they're, they're showing up as contentions. They're one body, but the net is ripped. They're one body, but the bone is broken. That's what's going on. They're one garment, but there's a tear. It looks great on the outside. It's working, but, uh, but, but Paul heard about these contentions. And so Paul's coming to them. He says there's contentions. The word there, contentions, uh, it means a verbal quarrel. What we would say today is debates. Um, now, these schisms, they're reflected in a way they would talk to each other, uh, the way they would speak to one another. What happens in a church when there are schisms and when there are contentions? What happens? Well, there's a group over here that are talking about this thing, and they've got these ideas. There's a group over here, and they've kind of got their own thing. And, and uh, what starts to happen in that church? There are three things. There are probably more things, but there are three things I see that happen. First of all, there's great discouragement with sincere believers. You ever been somewhere and uh, you, just the behavior just so grieves your heart? Christians ought not to act this way. Christians ought not to be so. There's, there's, a, there's this great disappointment. And, uh, and, and how did Paul learn of this? Well, he says there were some people from the house of Chloe, the household of Chloe. Uh, uh, in the Bible days, someone could be considered a part of your household. It could mean family, but it could also mean under your employment under the household of Chloe. Chloe uh, must have been somebody that, uh, that had 
um, uh, maybe some means and, uh, and had people under her care uh, enough. And they were so concerned that they went all the way across the Aegean Sea over to, where, uh, to Ephesus where Paul was and, uh, and said, Paul, there are some problems in the church of Corinth. It's breaking our heart. We need you to go back over there. And that's the implication. That's the idea that we get. They were probably very discouraged. They were probably sincere believers. They didn't like what was going on. I don't think they were going to go tattletale. I don't think they were going to go and be gossips to Paul. But they said with a great concern, Paul, there's a problem over there. There are problems with sincere Christians. They, it makes them very um, concerned. The problem... Uh, happens when there are schisms and divisions. The problem is uh, of the church becomes very evident outside the church. Here's the problem. The people knew this uh, schismatic spirit that this church had. The community knew it. Now, Corinth was a very divisive place in general, the city. They loved debating. Uh, Corinth was a place of debate. People went there to make something of themselves, a rags to riches story. We talked about how one in every five people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And if you bought your freedom, uh, uh, Corinth would be a great place to start over. And there were a lot of things going on there. But it was a place of opportunity. It was a place of backstabbing. It was a place of debating and scheming and name dropping. You know, uh, hey, so-and-so sent me, right? And uh, that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, the media in Corinth was not concerned about the truth. There were sides in the community, and, and, uh, and they would, you know, uh, they had an agenda. They wouldn't just report the news. They would have their slant on it. And I know that doesn't sound like anything we would ever deal with, but, uh, but that's what was going on here in Corinth. Now, here's the problem. The things that were happening in the city of Corinth is exactly what was showing up in the church, and a church starts to become a reflection of the community around them instead of the Christ within them. And boy, do we see that going on today. This was all happening inside the church, these debates, politics. I'm of this guy, I'm of that guy. All these things go on, name dropping. And the third thing that takes place when these schisms happen is it, is it uh, marginalizes the church's influence. So here's what happens. When you cast your net... You may get a few fish, but most of them slam out. When you, when you put on the garment, it mostly covers you, but guess what? 40 below is coming, you're going to feel a breeze. When you, when you, when you try to go out there, you, you, you've got a limp, you've got that broken bone, and, uh, and you want to keep up, you're doing your best to favor the other leg, but, but quite frankly, it is slowing you down for what you're trying to accomplish. Jesus said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. If you have what? Love, one for another. Third thing Paul gives them is some insight. Look at verse number 12. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, and I'm of Christ. They became divided around personalities. All right? Um, Apollos... Uh, the Bible says in Romans that he, uh, that he spoke mightily, and he, he had a great connection with the Jews. So probably a lot of the Jews that were there in Corinth had, had a great connection with Apollos, and they said, we're of Apollos, who was a very eloquent speaker. They knew a lot about him. Um, uh, Peter had gone through there at one point, and I'm sure some, some were even saying, I'm a Peter, and, and you know, he just kind of gives a few names, but it was probably likely even more personalities were added to it. Stephanus, Paul led early on in the church, and, and, and Crispus and Gaius. These are some that folks that Paul influenced, and no doubt they had to have been pillars and leaders in the church, and, and they're all kind of going around these things and saying, well, I'm a this guy, and I'm of this guy, and I love it. It goes on. Uh, the last, uh, last one in verse number 12, and I of Christ. I love that one. In other words, it's kind of like, well, I don't need all this stuff. I, I'll, I'll do you one better. I'm of Jesus. These are the ultra Pharisees. Right? Oh yeah, you're of Paul. Wonderful. I'm of Jesus. Whoa. I don't need church. I can walk with God on my own. You ever heard that? So Paul identifies the problem. They're gathered around strong personalities, but they only found fellowship in one group. I'm of the Paul group. I'm of Apollo's group. And they don't cross over. So this whole church is just divided around these personalities. And, and Paul, he was not for that. These leaders were not for that. And by the way, people tend to be tribal, don't they? This is who I am. This is my group. And Paul refused to take the bait. I love this. Ego would say... <laughs> These guys are saying, you know, they're of me. You know, I started the church after all, and that's what Ego would say, and Paul would have none of it. No, this is wrong. He, he, he didn't get into the weeds. In fact, instead of getting into the weeds, Paul just mowed down the whole thing. He says, what are you guys talking about? In fact, look what he says in verse number 13. Is Christ divided? 
<coughs> church, body of Christ, is Christ's body divided? Uh, uh, was Paul crucified for you? <laughs> Did I go and pay for your sins, he's saying to them? Is Christ crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, who were probably two of the ones that weren't fighting. <laughs> you know what he was saying? He was saying to them, cut it out. Here's what I love. He doesn't get into the weeds. Here's what I mean by that. He didn't go and address the things they were debating about. He simply says, cut it out. You ever gotten to the point with your children where they're, they're kind of going back and forth and saying, Mommy, he said this and he said this. They kind of go back, back and forth. You know, he did this and she did this. And at some point you just say, stop it. <laughs> your brothers and sisters love each other. Right? <laughs> I love the story. Uh, uh, um, the Burgesses told me about uh, when their twins were young and they'd get into fights. They'd put one of his large shirts on, on the two of them and say, you guys need to hug this out. <laughs> what is it? It's forget about all the side issues. Let's get back to the main issue. Let's quit being divided because it's just stupid and pointless. We're missing the vision or we're missing the direction. He didn't get pulled into it. He didn't get into the weeds. And he brought them back to the big picture of uh, reality. The problem they were having was a lens problem. The problem was having there is they couldn't see clearly. I wear contact lenses and I want to say this. If one falls out while I'm driving, I'm done. I have to stop and wait to get picked up. I can't see a thing. I am blind. And, uh, and when I'm blind, I, I, I can't see anything clearly. Right? It's, it's, it's just a blur. And that's what was going on. They, 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 they had a vision problem. They couldn't see the big picture. Uh, uh, um, our problem, most of the time, by the way, is a lens problem. We're only seeing it through our perspective. We're only seeing it the way we want to see it. We're not seeing where they're coming from. We're not seeing uh, what's going on. It becomes a lens problem. So Paul gives him some insight. He gives us a solution. Here's the solution, verse number 13. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And, uh, you know, the idea is Christ is not divided. Why are you divided? Paul is not the reason for this group. Jesus is the reason for this group. Uh, why do you have to have, you know, what, what's going on here? Uh, Christ is the one that died for you. And, and what he's doing, he's reminding them that they don't have the mind of Christ to serve others, to die to self. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm to die daily like he died. He died for your sins. He hung on the cross with an open shame. He, he did that for you. And, you know, and as an illustration, he calls us, hey, take up your cross. Die to self. Quit making it all about you. We are called to serve. We are called to bless. We are called to one another. So he takes the church, the church here. They're stuck in this split. They're stuck in this way. And he said, listen, you weren't baptized in my name. I didn't die for you. In fact, when I pass on, what's going to be left? It's Christ. Put your eyes back on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of this world, these, these, these little things we're splitting about will grow strangely dim in the eyes and light of his glory and grace. Get your eyes back. Get back to the Christ life. Get back to why we do what we do. Get back to the purpose the church even exists. Uh, and, you know, and, you know and, and, and this is kind of what he's coming back to. Notice, uh, just one last thought I have. Uh, he says, he says uh, verse number 15, lest I have baptized in my own name. It wasn't about him. And I baptize also the household of Stephanus. Besides, I know another one I baptize. Look at verse number 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to what? Preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, as the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. And I just want to say this. If baptism saves, Paul missed it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves you. Baptism does not save you. I know it's kind of a side thought of what we're talking about here, but what a powerful point because he said, he, I'm not sent to baptize. If that was the case, four people would be saved in that church. Because there is... I'm going to say it this way, a damnable doctrine, a heresy, that you must be baptized to be saved. And some prominent people believe that, by the way. I'm not going to name drop right now, but we're out of time. But how about it, church? Have you been hurt in the church? Have you been hurt by other believers? You know how many people will not step foot in a church because they've been hurt in a church? The danger is we put faith in people and not in the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever been misunderstood? By the way, that person, you just might be misunderstanding them. I know Jesus was misunderstood. 
Let's get our lives off our eyes off ourselves and back onto Jesus Christ like we're supposed to. How do we avoid these schisms? How do we avoid these splits? Keep our eyes where they're supposed to be. Keep that lens clear. Keep the idea that I am a to be a sacrifice unto God, a living sacrifice. I'm to serve my fellow man. I'm to serve the other believers. Let us do it good unto all men, especially them of the household of faith. That's where it starts, folks. We practice here. We are good at it here so we can do it well out there. But if all that's going on here is, well, unless you're in my group, I'm of Blake. Who was in Blake's group with me? Nobody? Okay. And then you got Wes's group back there. Who's in Wes's group? How silly. How silly. We are the church. Let's be the church. Our Father, we thank you for our time together today.